How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the ChawFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChawFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourself as well. If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SpearChop10 for $10 off your chocolate order. It'll change your life. Thank you. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk, and today we are welcoming the incredible Jason Sautel. Jason spent over 20 years, I believe 22 years, as a paramedic firefighter, uh, majority of which with the Oakland Fire Department. He's also the author of this incredible book, The Rescuer, uh, which I had the privilege of picking up on Amazon. Uh, at the discretion of our mutual friend Trevor, who also hosts uh, a slew of incredible uh, podcasts. And uh, I read the book, I'm blown away by it, and uh, I'm fortunate to actually have spent some time with Jason today. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate the uh, everything except the incredible part, dude. I'm so far from incredible, it's crazy, but I do appreciate the upgrade. Well, obviously, humbleness is one of your key traits as well. And, uh, but uh, before we kind of jump into this, I know... Obviously, I've told you why I started the podcast, and some of my first guests um, on the show were uh, former law enforcement, uh, people like that, that were kind of dealing with this whole notion of defund the police, and we didn't get into the politics of it per se, but we were more talking about if you were a cop today, dealing, how would you deal with this after you spent 20 years through some other terrible stuff? Or if you were a firefighter, how would you deal with the media's kind of sway to tell the public who to who to trust and who to protest against and stuff like that. But for you spending obviously more than two decades in the, as a first responder, did you feel you got out at the right time or how would you have dealt with what's going on now in the media the last couple of years, especially when it comes to uh, the, the defunding of police, which in turn actually kind of affects you guys as well. Yeah, you know, and the way that I got out was it wasn't overly by my choice because I broke my back and my hips and uh, I was basically forced out because, you know, obviously the city of Oakland doesn't like broke firefighters. With that being said, dude, I mean, my heart just goes out to our cops and first responders as a whole, but especially our cops, because as the fire department, our job is to show up and just make things better. We're not there to subdue people, to arrest people, which is a way to make it better too, because people don't see that in, in the view of what the police are going through. So they always look at us as the good guys. Well, everyone is the good guys. We all have a job to do. And I started seeing it a long time ago in Oakland. We started having these things called Occupy, Occupy Oakland, which was kind of like the, uh, you know, the predecessor to what we got going on now. And it was because people had a poor view of what police work actually looked like, what first responder work looked like. They would only have their gut instinct intuitions without understanding these men and women were showing up to protect the lives of others. Meaning if there's a gun on the ground or a, a bad guy with a gun, well, that gun could end up shooting my family, shooting other people. And so these heroes would run in to subdue that person and use as much force as necessary to do it. Well, the kicker is once the YouTube started coming out, cameras started coming out, it only gave people the end result. It didn't give them the backstory, the history, almost like the court case of what led up to what happened. And it's just sad, man. And so in this environment, to kind of answer your question, I, I'm happy to be where I am because I just 
don't understand how the firefighters could go through all that they're going through and our first responders as a whole and cops are going through it right now with lack of support. And, and I, it's just a rough situation to me. And so honestly, what I do is I sit off to the side and make myself available for our cops, first responders, paramedics, and, uh, you know, just help them along their way and talk with them about the struggles they're going through. And I consider myself, uh, obviously I'm in a career path that I have to serve others and you have to drop the hat, maybe deal with the situation that protect the life. But there's some stuff where I consider myself, I consider myself courageous and brave, but being a firefighter always, it never scared me. I just, it just showed how much respect I have, not only for the actual idea of fire and the concept of it, but the men and women that actually can run into that house uh, at the whim, drop a hat and give them self, their selfishness, their, their selfless act of bravery. But like you kind of just said, how do you – if you have a kid come up to you today, Jason, uh, man, I really want to be a firefighter, but I see all the stuff in the news and all this. Like how do you – are you telling them the truth? Not only your experience, but, hey, be prepared that there are going to people that are going to hate what you do. There are going to be people right. that understand what you do, but there's also people that are going to love and respect the hell out of you. So how do you kind of guide this guy or girl that wants to become a firefighter today? That's good stuff because, you know, since my book came out, I get that question all the time because, you know, I did put the exciting calls in there, the most memorable calls, some right. of the, the rescues and everything. So I do get that question. And it's actually a simple answer, but I have to go in depth to explain it to them is don't go into this line of work unless you're willing to put yourself aside and selflessly serve others. Meaning when the attacks come, you got to put those attacks aside and remember you're selflessly serving those who you've been called to serve. And it's a process to learn how to do that. And I think maturity, because I think the days of like me, I became a fireman at the age a firefighter, because I believe in firemen, firewomen, firefighters. So sorry about my terminology sometimes. No, um, I... Yeah. <laughs> but with, with that being said, I became a firefighter at the age of 18 and I wasn't ready for it mentally, you know, physically by all means. But as you know, even in your line of work, it's, you know, physical is just a wee bit of it. It's the mental part of training to use your physical blessing scenes, aspects, things that you've been given to protect others. So I tell them mature in life, serve other people. Like no joke. I have seen some of the best people come into the fire service. They say, Oh, like longshoremen and paramedics, like no waiters and waitresses <laughs> because they're used to serving others being dumped upon with poor tips. Cause you know, maybe the cook wasn't doing something. And, and so it's, it's a public service aspect because we can train you to become a firefighter. That's simple. I mean, dude, putting water on the hot stuff and, and teaching you to how to rely on the courage of those around you. That's an easy thing we can teach people as we're training you to learn how to be courageous and, and be smart to fight fire. But my advice for the young guy, and gals out there is don't even look into public service unless you're willing to selflessly serve those who you've been appointed to serve which are the citizens while being able to put all the other nonsense that's going around aside i uh when i was back in the government doing the law enforcement stuff in the secret service i towards the end of my career there i was going through a divorce and so there's other issues too where it's like that mental hurdle stuff back home where you have to bring it to work for someone like a firefighter I mean, obviously, military, law, paramedic, whoever mm -hmm. it is that serves others, that baggage, and it could be positive too. I'm not saying all baggage is bad, but you have to be able to take that out of what your, you, if your shift is 24 hours, like you did some days, or mm -hmm. you're a cop working a back to back or a 12 hour day, that, those 12 hours, you have to do your job. But in the back of your mind, you have what's going on at home, a sick family member, whatever it is. How do you, 
it, this is going to lead into kind of when you, you, you go into your book about your, how your dad approached you about uh, leaving your mom and how that kind of pushed you to become a firefighter. But if you're dealing with that on the job and the stuff at home, how do you kind of micromanage what's going on inside your head? Oh man, that's such a good question, bro. And, and it's a, it's a hard one. And the way that I explain it is when you go to work, there's like two use, right? When you're home, your dad, your husband, your mom, your wife, your what, whatever you are and stuff. And, and you're still the other you, but when you walk out the door to become a first responder, and, and so we don't have to keep saying military this or that, because of course I know we're covering all of it. What I right. try to say is you're becoming a stone cold lifesaver meaning you have to put everything in your side. So like one time I was at the firehouse and I got a call that our child was injured, you know, and when I say injured, my wife's a nurse, so it wasn't horrible, but I can just leave the firehouse because I had 25,000 people in my district that needed my services. And so I had to put my family aside. Now, obviously if it was a severe injury or something, boom, I'm out the door because family's always first and the fire department sees that. But when I know he has a broken arm and he's in the emergency room, hey, there might be a kid a block away who's not breathing. And if I go home, I can't respond to that. So you have to put your family aside. And what I always say is I always would tuck them deep into my heart. I would tuck them into my locker. I would always have a place where I could visit them and I could go see them after the run. But while we're on emergency and in West Oakland, California, especially in the time that I served, man, the crack wars were going, things were going on. So we're out the door on shootings like people couldn't even imagine, you know, and, it, and I know other areas of this country have their issues, but like us in Miami at the time, we had some major, major problems. And so the biggest thing that I would tell the folks is just make sure you don't become stone cold in life. Just become a stone cold lifesaver and have a way. So for me, when I would drive home, I would flip my mind of I'm not at the firehouse. Cause I remember one day I walked through the door and I said something to my wife and I just had a rough shift. And I said, you know what? Being at the firehouse sometimes is so much easier. And she said to me, Jason, you didn't marry a firefighter. You married me. Dude, the light like flipped on huge that I had to come up with that balance. So it was just time away. And for me, you know, as, as folks know, a lot of faith-based stuff really helped me through that time and, and it helped me flip the script. On the other side of that coin, you've obviously used Jaws of Life. You've had to rescue people in burning building, come across uh, corpses or suicide jumpers and everything in between that falls into your line of work. How do you not bring that stuff home? Or do you talk to Christy or your kids or is there like a, a pastor or someone at home that mm -hmm. maybe helps you kind of, hey, before you step into your kitchen for dinner, family dinner, talk to this person. What's that? What place system is the place for that? that? There's multiple layers for that. Number one, it's kind of like, Unless you were in that foxhole with me, you'll never get it. Unless you've smelled, tasted, okay. you know, the fear. So the level is I have the brothers and sisters in the Oakland Fire Department who understood what I went through. Then for me, I explain it. Every uh, run you go on, you pick up a piece that run and attaches itself to you. If you don't have a place to leave it, eventually the bad ones are going to weigh you down. And like you said, there's good stuff that attaches itself to you too, which is awesome. You know, you get to make a difference. That's good. But it's like anything in life. Like with my book, I read one bad review and I'm mad, but the other thousands of reviews are good. So the bad stuff weigh down. So what I would do is faith-based, you know, I had a place to leave it, not to get too churchy, is it to put it across for me? Right. Then I also had 
my church group of guys. And then I had friends because I think sometimes what happens in our line of work is we say no one's going to get it. So we just hang around firefighters or cops or military guys. Well, dude, I think it's healthy to have that group, but it's not a balance. And so you need balance. So I would have people that were not even part of the fire department. I talked to, he's like, yeah, dude, I lost a real estate deal. Well, in my mind, I'm like, well, I lost a kid last night, but check this out. This dude was hurting. And if I put my hurt greater than his, that's effed up all the way around, dude. I shouldn't do that. Yes. So yep. listen, I truly believe listening, and I'm a chatty guy, as you know, but listening sometimes and absorbing what other people go through and then talking about your struggles and helping one another out is a great way. So basically put, take the bad and use it for good to help others. Otherwise, it's just going to wear you down. And I've read all the books on PTSD, trauma, all that stuff. And, and I, I think they're all have bits and nuggets in them that work, but there's not just one set way of doing it. So I say, come up with a balanced approach that works for you. And obviously mine lies heavily in faith. And I love the idea of listening to uh, in my line of work, when you get called on a radio, Hey, there's a fight or there's domestic or uh, whatever the worst case scenario is usually domestics are two drunk people fighting a couple right. or two, whatever it is. Uh, it's so easy to start yelling and, pointing fingers and stuff, but I've always found the best way to break this stuff up and deal with this stuff is just listening. Maybe they're having a bad day and the alcohol didn't help or right. they just got bad news and they were pissed off. And obviously it's your line of work and line of work was a lot more uh, uh, craziness going on with a better chance of something really bad happening. But the idea of listening to people, um, and it can be all walks of faith too. It doesn't matter right. who you are. Yeah, I think that's so vital. A lot of people don't realize that. that. Oh, dude, you know, and like working in Oakland, people say, oh, it's the most diverse city in the world. Well, it's the most diverse city in the world I ever worked in because if you think about it, over 300 languages are spoken there. It's not like we're, we're maybe in a city in India where there's just a few cultures there. We have every culture known to man there. And especially early on with, with the, the um, wars kicking off in Iraq and Afghanistan, we took in true refugees. So what you're saying is so true because I would show up as a Christian having to deal with a Muslim family and what I've learned is it's just all about giving sincere, true love without judgment. I always say that the, even like in a police officer, you're enforcing later on the judgment happens, you know, if, if things are going on. So showing up with a pure servant's heart and just trying to love on people. And sometimes let's be honest, that love hurts because it could entail some handcuffs to stop someone from doing whatever they're doing. It could right. be me shoving an IV into their jugular vein because they're bleeding out. But what, what I remember, a scene that really got me and reminded me of this is we had, you know, Oakland being a big city, but we're a close-knit um, neighborhood, was the liquor stores on all the corners. We made friends, and I made friends with a really cool family from Lebanon there. Well, sure enough, at 1.30 in the morning, we go out to a shooting. And the shopkeeper who I knew, and I just love this guy. He's so friendly. We'd actually joke back and forth about Christians and Muslims and all that in just such a yeah, firehouse fun way. See, there he was with, with, he was shot dead. And I don't want to get graphic, but he was, the second I walked in, he was gone. Well, he also popped off a couple, a couple of shots on the shooter, the guys who was robbing him. And so the guy's out back, he's alive. So I had to show up and say, man, my friend is dead. His family's wailing and mourning culturally like they should, you know, just because I mean, it was totally, they're, they're going, but they're screaming at me to save their dad. And I had to go and treat the guy who killed him. And that was one of the waking up moments of my calling, though, at that moment. Well, meanwhile, this guy was screaming, not let me die. He's screaming, if you save me, I'm going to come back and get you and all this other stuff. I mean, he was just a really messed up dude, you know. 
but I put it all aside. I stopped the bleeding, gave him the oxygen, did all this stuff. My flesh was telling me not to do. I mean, I wanted seriously rudely sounded. I wanted him to just die because he killed my friend. But it woke something up in me that it was basically that old school people call it Bill Belichick it was long before him. Shut up and do your job. My job was to show up, yeah. make that scene better and walk away from it and then sort it out later on. So th those were some of the difficult things that I had to go through. It is fascinating, too, because a lot of my friends here in Massachusetts were dealing with the uh, police protests and defunding yes. stuff. But a lot of the times, a lot of the defund the police protests were needed the police there to sign off on the protesting permits and to be active security and there's been numerous times where these people that are throwing bricks and frozen stuff at cops would get hurt uh, by whoever hurts them the first people there are the cops mm -hmm. they're they're throwing away everything these people said to them or threw at them but they're there to do their job and i can only right. imagine you my first thought would be man where's the closest camera because i'm gonna punch this guy a couple times and maybe right. And right. that, but that's just that's the wrong way to think. But the fact you that that moment was you heard kind of the light in your head to tell you, I'm here to serve. No, here to serve. no judgment yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, I, I wish you know, and I don't want to go too far with this, but I wish we would fall back onto people are really bad. And yes. you always got to bring a higher level to stop the threat. Now, do we have to go, you know, you're not dropping a nuclear bomb on someone that's robbing a liquor store. Let's be honest on it. But the problem right. being is they have just tied the hands of our cops now. And here they are getting bricks, things thrown. The second you throw a brick at someone, man, that's assault with a deadly weapon. You need yeah. to enforce the level it takes to apprehend them. Now, is it a beatdown? Is it this? Is it that? No, it's not. Now, is it we need to do what it takes to, to get them cuffed and everything? Do what you got to do, and then it stops. Well, here's what I try to tell people. As a firefighter, we weren't cowards, but we didn't carry guns or batons, so we waited till OPD cleared the scene. And I can say, honestly, I've been on thousands of crime scenes. I've been on active crime scenes where it just starts hitting off again. And out of those thousands of crime scenes, I never saw a cop do anything unethical. But I saw them have to use levels of force that were necessary. And, and it's sad that what, what's happening right now, you know, and that's why I keep telling everyone my prayers go out to law enforcement because it's just, it's rough, man. And I feel for the brothers and sisters out there, especially with the scenario you described. You've uh, Now, when it comes to the firehouse, obviously you've had firefighters and you, the brotherhood of the family at the firehouse that were atheists, Muslim, different religions, Christian, Jewish, whatever it is. Does that ever get in the way of, uh, like, when you guys get back after a bad call or you could you did your jobs, but obviously there's a loss of life or you just couldn't do, you wish you could have done more. When it comes to everyone at the firehouse, obviously, is there ever a time where there's there parts here where you're kind of like, Let's all pray together. Or how do you guys, as a as a unit, kind of decompress from that? If you do have different faiths, well, it's a it's a brotherhood, sisterhood. So we get to know each other, okay. And it's also a workplace. So to workplace, I've been called even as a Christian to follow the orders of my bosses, right? So if my boss say, Jason, you don't show up on scene just preaching Jesus to everyone, well, a hardcore Christian will say, oh, don't work there. Well, I'll tell you multiple spots in my Bible say, no, God says, submit to your employer and do what you're getting paid to do because you're on their dime right now. Does that mean I'm not a Christian at the time? No, but in that brotherhood, we get to know each other. 
and you know who's comfortable with what, who's not. So obviously, when I was early on, I wasn't a Christian during the first part of my career. And I was actually the guy who lashed out at Christians. I threw a pastor out of my firehouse. I made funny guys with Bibles because I was that messed up jerk of a guy. Well, after I became a Christian, I still tap back into that and realize that if I go full force on someone, say, bow your heads and everyone pray, there's going to be a dude like, bro, I'm not a Christian. Okay. I don't like this. Now you're making me feel uncomfortable. So I wouldn't do that. Right. But would I pray off to the side prior to a meal? Yeah. Would I be praying for those around me? Yeah. But more times than not, I believe that once you get back to the firehouse and it's incredibly raw, well, my Bible says God's going to use all things for his glory. Well, how do I go to someone and say, hey, God's going to get glory out of this dead kid we just went on? That's a stupid thing to say. That's not what it's about. So I would just ask the brothers, how you doing, man? And honestly, a good laugh sometimes in the firehouse was the way to do it. So in my firehouse, no, we, not everyone was a Christian. Not everyone was a Muslim. We were, we were everything, but we were one. And what I tell people is the way that we made it better was we were all on mission to help people. We could fight at the table about Republicans, Democrats, this, that, Muslim, right. this. But the second the bell hit off, we went out the door and we were on mission. And our mission was to selflessly serve others. And that's where our focus was. And, you know, here's my political content comment. This is what's wrong with, with America right now. Everyone forgets that we need to put others higher than us because we're so quick to judge and be mean and do all this and, and fight back and forth. So, so in the firehouse, we, we honestly, we would just talk it out if we needed to, you know, and, and you got to know people. So you know what each guy needed. If some guy that's normally chatty is quiet, we knew something was up and then you would right. assess him and then approach him in a way that he should be approached. Yeah. It's just it's super, I mean, that, it's really cool how that dynamic is set in place in terms would say when you first jumped into the, the firefighting and obviously the training and standards, has that changed at all moving forward? Or if it has, uh, what are some of the stuff that's changed, whether it's the training or kind of like the on-the-job stuff? Like what's, has the structure changed at all in terms of like the basic firehouse? Yeah, you know, it, it's changed a lot. And unfortunately, a lot of this new generation of making people feel good all the time has kind of invaded okay. a little. And and yeah. what I've seen the changes is we all have to accept, accept – well, I can totally accept you for who you are, even though my values aren't lined up with you. But when you force that kind of training, when ultimately our job is to show up, kick in a door and how do we provide community service and love is by snatching you out of the flames and pulling you out and stuff. So when the concentration goes into, oh, well, public service, you know, firefighters, because they're not going to fire as much anymore, they should pull over and help people with a broken down car or do this or do that. You start piling all this stuff on top of it. Well, I'm kind of old school and I would never take my fire engine or fire truck out of service to do something that was community-based, like even a stop, drop, and roll. Because even though we're teaching a kid to stop, drop, and roll, what if a house is on fire two blocks away, but we're out of service? Our calling is go kick it. So sometimes I think because we're always trying to please absolutely everyone and make us look so good. And, oh, we need that funding because fire departments, we don't want to be defunded like the cops. We're going to be better. Well, I think we need to say we're better by let's get into the weight room. Let's train. And don't get me wrong. I think people of all sizes and strength can be a firefighter. I love having women on the fire department in the fire engine because the diversity really helps out when you're serving a diverse community. I mean, think about it. If I work in an all black community yeah. and all white dudes show up, it's not right. So 
I just believe that we need to fall back onto some of the basics that we've forgotten while understanding there's a perception out there, but now we're training based on perceptions as opposed to what the job truly is. Right. One of the, I want, I want to kind of want to step back to mm-hmm. the impact. What really, your book really hit me about your talking about your dad decided to leave your mom mm-hmm. and that's obviously got you going to where you are now. But as a married to Christy with two kids, is it ever in the back of your mind where you're like, where you're kind of like, man, obviously I forgive my father, but was he courageous doing what he did because he followed his heart when he believed? Or is this something where you're kind of, man, if I had an issue uh, with my marriage or whatever, could I leave my kids or wife? Like how does that dynamic uh, like play in your head there? It's a constant struggle, man, because, you know, growing up under a system of abuse, I mean, just for your listeners, my dad was a Vietnam vet. He suffered through polio. Um, He he didn't know how to deal with things. I think he had a lot of his own demons of his past. I don't even know what they were. So my mom left us when we were eight years old. And her thing was she left hoping to come back and get me. But being a woman in the 80s without the money and he had more of the money, obviously, she couldn't fight him to get us back and stuff to get me back. So with that being said, growing up under that darkness and alone and and sad and his abuse and stuff, it sucks, man, because I constantly sometimes catch myself telling my children. And, and just so we also have four kids too. we adopted. So they moved out. They're older. One became a fireman and uh, the other's doing they're, awesome. they're my niece and nephew. Yeah. So we have them, but for my youngers, I've told them when I, when I screw up, I look at them and say, you know what you guys, I'm honest with them. I say, dad, dad messed up here. Don't take this part and use it on your future family, your wife and everything. Now, because I do want a relationship with my dad so bad, but he just, to this day, he, he cannot stand me. He just doesn't want any part of me and stuff. It hurts, man. And my wife, who's the most loving, sweetest girl you ever see, she's the one who actually is like, no, he's mean to you. You know, why do you want that? But I think like all kids, we want that love of our parents. So it's a struggle to this day. And it's just honestly, bro, it's day by day how I feel sometimes minute by minute, but it's working my way through it in a healthy way. That's not going to affect my children the way that my dad affected me in a negative impact. There are three parts of this book uh, I kind of want to focus on because they hit me differently for different reasons. Obviously the suicide jumper. Uh, and then the couple you're doing CPR on when you got the hug from the wife yeah. of the husband who just passed away. And the when you actually met your wife, Christy, and how she came into your life at the right time, and kind of that beacon of light. When, you, when you're when you writing this book, those moments there, obviously I, I know why you had to put certain parts in there because you need to understand there's some craziness in what you do. And obviously mm-hmm. this book shows that. But there's also a lot of down days. There's a lot of days where it's just a cat in the tree type thing, right? Mm-hmm. So – for to make to put this book together, for those three moments, and you've dedicated chapters to them. What what was it about those moments that really uh, kind of put you on this career path and like your how you found your faith and stuff like that, stuff like that? Yeah, no, those are great questions. So it's weird. The way I look at it is, I've been to countless fires and I've been to multiple fatality fires, and for whatever reason, it's not me being heartless. They didn't affect me that much, but then all of a sudden, something affected me. And when it affected me so hard, I I started to realize it's affecting me for a reason. It took me a long time to understand it. It's like, why is this bugging me? Well, why would I work my way through something that's not bugging me, right? You know, if I come back from a fire where someone died and it bothered me, I'm not going to go get counseling or help or something. But it started affecting me. And I couldn't put my thumb on it. And so like the jumper on the Bay Bridge, I thought we were going to get him back over the rail, but he jumped. And when he jumped, 
I saw myself in his eyes. I saw like a level of emptiness, not that the man was evil, but like the evilness of this world kicked him down so much. And I felt like that because my childhood was so painful. My younger years, you know, this is about 25 years old, but my early 20s, I was told, oh, get a great job. You'll feel better. Buy a house, buy a boat, buy a big race. Tr-. I bought all that, bro. And the black hole inside me would just tear it up. Well, when I saw that guy jump, it was like a recognition. I was like, okay, that's going to be me. Then as it progressed on, I started noticing some good things, especially like after my suicide attempt, you know, I I didn't put it in there, but my biggest concern and people laugh about this, not in a bad way, was I was going to do it in a way that everyone had, you know, that Jason's not coming back in 20 years out of mouth. It was going to be a final moment and stuff. They knew I was going to be gone, but I didn't want to be someone's bad memory, you know, of them finding a fireman dead and stuff. And so when I was ready to end it all, someone stepped into my life and took me out to breakfast. And it was huge. And it was just at that moment, things started to change that I started going, you know what? There might be something more. There, there is something more. Well, then things started to click faith-wise for me because my nickname in the fire department was the Demon Seed. Just because I was so angry that anytime I saw something good like a Bible or something, I would chuck it, dude. I mean, seriously, I, I couldn't even write. I wanted to write about the scenes of what I once did to to the uh, uh, scene of baby Jesus being born and all that. And I played football right. with him before I was in. You're like, no, don't talk like that. Yeah. I just want to tell that's book number two. That's, yeah, that's how that's messed up. That'll be two. in the movie, yeah. you know. But that's how messed up I was. And then all of a sudden, when good things started happening, like true good things, that the darkness and the evilness that I was feeling wouldn't eat up. There's like a Bible or faith involved. Like the woman who I did CPR on her husband, no joke, they'd been married for over 70 years. And when I had to walk out and tell her that her husband of 70 years had died because we couldn't revive him, my spirit was crushed. And I was getting ready to tell her once again, which was part of my job, your world's now over. I'm going to deliver the worst news ever to you. And that's what we did in the fire department, especially as the paramedic on the crew. I walked out. And she looked at me and she could see my pain and suffering that I had a tear in my ear. Here's this big, strong atheist who, who couldn't send Christians. She put her Bible down. She came and she put her head in my chest and she told me, child, it's going to be okay. Dude, if you want to talk about a lesson on grace, that to this day, I still use that because it's a true lesson of even when you're in your darkest moments, you can still bless other people, you know, and she did that. And I walked away and my head was like, whoa, and just spinning. So all that started to happen. And then, of course, I met my wife who who was a Christian and, you know, she talked more to me about it. It's what's for people, obviously, the last two years, you see, I've, I've known a lot of friends or people that have had suicidal thoughts or let their health go out the wayside because they don't, they're reaching out, but they don't know what to do or they're not reaching out. And you can't, obviously we can't read minds and right. if you don't see the person, you can't physically see them. But for those that are struggling, uh, this is, this is have to be related to faith at all. Right. Uh, but anyone that is struggling or reach, trying to reach out to find help, what advice do you have to people that are in those shoes that, because it seems like all the signs you saw, maybe they were already happening your whole life. You just didn't see them until that specific moment. So, like, what advice do you have to these men and women that are struggling, that have suicidal thoughts, that just can't find a will to live, but need to find their purpose? Purpose. That's such a, a good thing. And what I like to do is give an example is I truly didn't want to write my book. And I, I was ready to just stop. And because I have a large Facebook following and stuff, and, you know, I get multiple messages a day, like over 200, I respond to them all. Well, one hit me up and it was this fireman. He goes, are you Jason Sotel? We confirmed it. So I gave him my number. He's an FDNY guy. And he told me he's all tomorrow. 
I'm going to be leaving my house, but I'm not going to go to work. I'm not going to come back to my wife, kids. I'm going to go kill myself. I'm like, oh boy. And it reminded me of the position I was in. And the only thing I can tell people is I just want to give you some hope, you know, hope of that you're in the pit and I get that. And sometimes sympathy and empathy can just overwhelm people. But when I was there, just having someone reach out to me and say, you know, man, want to hang out for a few minutes. And if they say no, be, be slightly pushy. Say, well, what, what can I, what can I do for you? And for those that are in the pit, you know, just understand your, I explain like this, you're in the, you're in the outhouse toilet. You're sitting in the stink right now. Climb out, man, you know, climb out and how you're going to climb out. Isn't going to be a miraculous. Well, Jesus came into my life and things are better. Cause when I came to Christ, people were like, dude, your life get better. Like, no, it straight sucks still because I'm still on this messed up world <laughs> dealing with all this stuff, but I have a bigger hope, but I also for non-Christians want to give them the hope of a tomorrow, a hope of they're here for something greater than they could ever imagine. And they just can't see it right now. And I just want them to understand the, the, to work their way through it. And I know I sound preachy, but I'm also legit because like the guy with FDNY, I made it very clear. I'm like, dude, you're going to do what you're going to do. And I'm not going to feel guilt for that. And he's like, whoa, no one ever hit him that. Cause I knew he needed me to come kind of tough for him. I said, but yeah. I, I, you know, cause I want to be like, oh, I couldn't live my life. If you, you did this, like I messed it up. Well, no, I told myself, bro, tomorrow I, I want to hang out with you. Sometime I want to come out to your firehouse and chill with you and stuff. There's a reason we're connected. Obviously my reason is going to follow faith based on that God connected us, you know, but there's a reason. And so there's a reason people are here and I'm just praying and asking to just reach out to someone like me. Cause I talk to non-Christians on a daily basis, you know, and I, I try to tell people I'm a safe place, even like in the church. I tell people, they're like, what's your role in the church? I'm like, oh, dude, I'm the pastor's punching bag. Could you imagine being a pastor and having nowhere to be real? <laughs> you know, Come over to my house and let's be real. Well, I also offer that to, to folks out there that are struggling. It's, it's just super, it is very fascinating to me. And I just love the idea that you're, you, okay, so you put the book out. And then obviously people reach out and they realize, that, hey, this guy was a former firefighter. Uh, he's done some amazing stuff. He's gone through a ton. He has a suicidal attempt. Uh, but when does it come to a point when you get messages like that other firefighter or police officer where is this a burden you anticipated or emotions you anticipate when you put this book out there? Or obviously, or are you really okay with, hey, I'm Jason. Let me, I've been there. Let me help you. Like at what point does that burden across become too heavy for you, for you? That's so good, bro. So honestly, I thought firefighters, cops, EMS were going to hate it because there's so many books out there about what we've done. Like, honestly, I don't need to go read a book about how someone's made a hallway and did a rescue or did something like that. Cause I I've been there. I get it. I understand. So it's not interesting for me. So it was kind of written about this is how God used me to me or how God called me to his son. So I was writing it from a faith-based approach, but like all things, God's going to use it the way he wants to use it. So all of a sudden I didn't expect people with PTSD. I didn't expect people with struggling with traumas come out of the woodwork and start hitting me up. And what I think the biggest blessing out of it is, is I tell them I'm not a professional at anything. I got to be so clear on this, but I can give you my testimony. I can give you my story and I can give you some hope. So it was a shock to me because truly like I didn't even realize I was struggling through PTSD. If you're like, bro, you almost blew your head. You almost died, man. You almost killed yourself. And you didn't recognize that. And I'm like, I know, isn't that stupid, man? I, I was writing it for different reasons. But what's so cool about it is I think it's relatable. 
And there's, it's like anything with you. If we want to talk about how to shoot straight, do all this other stuff, you have some legitness to your, your skill set and where it came from. I believe without putting myself up there on a pedestal, there's a little legitness that comes along with the darkness that I went through. So people feel comfortable coming for me. And like I tell people, I'm never going to put you on a 5150. I'm not going to be that guy who rats you out. I'm going to be that guy that just wants to check up on you and see how you're doing. Right. Now, obviously, the book we're talking about, The Rescuer, when I read the book, it's it, when I got to the end of it, I kind of I, I took some notes, obviously, and mm-hmm. I literally nonstop. And <laughs> the, the idea of you, obviously, you're dealing with your demons and what's going inside your head, this blackness you talk about. But you were, as you went to these jobs, whether it was a, a suicide jump attempt or a uh, burning building or using the jaws of life to get someone out of a, a mm-hmm. car crash, you were cha- the rush of you chasing and saving others almost helped cover up the idea that you weren't even putting the same amount of time or effort into chasing what was hurting you. And I thought that was very, very interesting on that. Yeah, it was, it was a balance that helping other people feels good, but it wasn't my drive to try to make myself feel good. What I always try to do is I put myself back into being that kid living on a mattress on the floor with cockroaches running across me. Like I didn't even get my first bed until I bought it with my fire department check. I just slept on a nasty mattress on a floor in filth and stuff. And it sucked. So I try to go back to that spot. And then I try to think about how horrible it was and how nice it would have been if someone just entered my life for a couple of minutes and and brought some light and some nice and said it was going to be okay. And so I think that's the drive that I have, that it's like I went through these experiences and I just want to use them to help other people, make them feel better, bless them, pick them up if needed, dust them off and, and point them in the direction where they can get true recovery, true help. Because I always tell people I haven't saved a person. I haven't done anything like I've never put a fire out. People are like, what? And I'm like, check this out. I was trained to stay low, to crawl, to push through the heat, to have these strong guys beside me to fall back on their courage. And then once I got to the seat of the fire, the water put it out. So I was just doing my job and following my calling to get that water there. Well, now I use that same calling to get people to the true help they need. And I just push through the heat, darkness, and help pull them out and say, all right, I can't save you, but here's where you can find hope. Growing up, I mean, I love the movie Backdraft. Mm-hmm. Um Kurt Russell, like everything about it. Uh, so that was probably my first foray into the idea of what firefighters do. Uh, then I watched Robocop. Oh, I want to be a cop. Uh, but <laughs> right. when, it, when it comes to when it comes to movies like that, Ladder 49, uh, Only the Brave, which I know uh, your friend, uh, the yeah, one survivor from that, yeah. put out, again, put out an incredible book, um, World Trader. Movies and television shows that Hollywood puts out for firefighters, do you think – is there any out there that you watch where you're kind of like, this does firefighting justice or is it too over? Some of them they put out there very too Hollywood where it's just show the action and the actual right. the feelings and emotions really aren't there. Well, I think it's, well, I think it's the whole thing of, you know, what was that Kevin Costner movie and Whitney Houston, right? <laughs> it's kind of uh, the bodyguard. Yeah, the body, okay. Right. You know, it's like <laughs> that. There's some quick little moments of like, okay, but the rest it's so produced for Hollywood and the wah factor. And so ladder 49 and also backdraft. The two things I love about those movies is the firehouse scenes. 
those were legit, man. Those okay. were there. Now, to make a firefighting scene, it's kind of hard to tell people, okay, fighting fire is like putting both hands over your eyes and going into an oven that's 1,500 <laughs> degrees. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make very good things. But what I don't like about it is they don't put the emotion of what the guys and gals go through. They don't show the true struggles, and they glamorize it and stuff. They over-glamorize the scene and the whole, you know, someone's trapped in a car, so uh, uh, then they're dead, and oh, it was horrible. And that bugs me to the bitter end. So I don't don't watch a lot of that but we are in the process of possibly turning my book into a movie and i'm going to change that man i'm going to bring in the feelings that are going to be highlighted to the guys and the gals that go through these struggles and i'm going to show them the feelings that they're having when they're pushing through the fire instead of the 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 explosions being what it's all about and make it so legit you know of like when you pull someone out you can't save them what you truly go through and and what it's like to tell families that their loved ones are not going to make it or they've already died and there's nothing you can do and bring that true emotions in of what it's really like. But I also don't want to leave people in a dark, dark area either. I want to bring in the stuff. And so for me, yeah, I think backdraft ladder 49 was good. And um, it's a little edgy and stuff, but rescue me the old show with Dennis Leary. Yes. Dude. Yeah. You know, the struggles of nine 11 and what, what those guys went through, that's a whole different level. But I think showing the personalities within the firehouse, that's what drives me and grabs me because I've worked with so many amazing personalities. And which obviously in your book, when you talk about the firehouse, all these people you know, I mean, but you not even write about them, you know they have different baggage, they have different issues at home, different backgrounds, different injuries, all this other stuff going on, fights. Mm-hmm. Yet as soon as that siren goes off over the PA or yeah. you hear dispatch or whatever. Mm-hmm. The fact you those you guys or girls are able to kind of jump in there and just drop all that in the drop drop of a dime and just go to the wherever that job is. I don't obviously you could train for your job and you could that only gets you so far. I do think you have to be born or have something instilled from the young age of mm-hmm. uh service to others. Like how do you the people that, that don't last firefighting be law enforcement, we have different reasons why, and obviously right. some stuff comes out why they do it last. But for those that, that do want do make a life out of being a, being a firefighter for mm-hmm. 20 plus years, what are some traits those men and women have, like yourself, that really understand what the job is? Well, I think honestly, is it's learning other people like with me. The guy next to me was more important than me, but learning that and trusting that he also thought that I was more important than him. And then we all make the job more important than all of us, meaning whoever we're going to rescue, whatever building we're going to try to put out, you know, it's more, more important. Obviously we're not going to die over an old dilapidated building with no one in it, but we have to treat every fire like someone's trapped inside. And I think it's a drive to want to serve like you keep saying it's a drive to understand there's some mundane days in the firehouse there's some man we go on you know i, I don't want to be rude but dude going on bellyache after bellyache for 25 year old male you know year old males you just want to slap them and be like bro man up dude you got the flu that stuff can drive you nuts but i think it truly is just learning trusting and creating a culture where you just don't talk you do And when you recognize that people are doing instead of just talking, that's when you're able to get the job done and truly trust others. 
So if I have a kid that's out of uh, maybe just starting college or wants to become a firefighter, what do I? What's the best steps I can take to do that route? I mean, maybe you're maybe you're have want to even do it construction in the last year in their thirties. You want to become a firefighter. What's some stuff you should people or they can start doing now to get ready for that for the training and all that type of mm-hmm. stuff. So. Well, number one is, you know, mentors. I'm a huge believer in mentors. So even a local firehouse, no firehouse is ever going to turn anyone away who says, hey, I want to ask you a few questions about doing the job. Because that's one thing that I've always loved when someone says, I want to be you, meaning when I was a firefighter and they wanted it, that's like, okay, cool, you have it. So ask questions, get mentors. Go into taking a fire science class at a college because in that class, you're going to meet other like-minded people who are trying to get the job. And so it starts becoming a culture because the fire service is a culture and you can't just walk into a culture. You have to earn your way into it. So slowly start doing that. So taking classes, taking your emergency medical technician, going and volunteering at it. Well, I mean, in COVID, there's no real volunteer stuff, but if it was the the ERs become an EMT, learn, learn the medical side because 80% of what we do is emergency medical work, not just the big glamorous fires. And that's even in big cities and smaller cities. It's more like, you know, 50% of what you're doing is the medical work. So, so learn that side of it and truly feel of its party. Like our 23 year old son who we adopted when he's eight, he's now a firefighter. And he's out fighting these huge fires here in California and stuff. And he's getting a taste of it. And and he now learns a culture because he never understood the culture as much, even though he got the culture of the Oakland Fire Department and we were tough on him. Now he knows why we were tough on him because his first fire was the campfire up here in Northern California where a whole city burnt down. And he was the second due engine on that. And he actually witnessed the bodies at the age of 20, you know? So, so I just want to tell guys and gals, learn the culture, obviously physical strength. Definitely. You got to stay physically strong and active and stuff, but do it also in a way you're not destroying your body early. Okay. Cause I see some people doing some stuff like, yo, there's no reason you need to deadlift 600 pounds. Okay. Trust, you know, but, but but yeah, just physically fit. He was a huge part of it, you know? I've, I grew up, obviously, with great parents, and I was always, hey, be, say, thank you to a veteran, uh, thank you to an officer, thank you to a firefighter, any one of those stone-cold lightsabers you talk about. And so even more to that, the idea of the community and the firefighters and first responders, I've ever grown up as a kid going down the town field where they do with the local firemen busters, mm-hmm. where the competition, you see all the teams yeah. and people cheer and having a great time. And I, and I find there's so much vital, that it's, it's so vital to see the community with a firefighters or law enforcement that people right. could be like, Hey, these are just humans too. On the other side of that, I've always wondered why in some of these communities, obviously Oakley will be one of them or wherever there's a lot of issues, the people that the firefighters, these so cold save lifesavers are going in dealing with and saving lives. They don't, these people don't understand what, how hot that fire really is or how heavy that hose is, or, that this cop is knocking down a door of a domestic where statistically there's a good chance someone's died here. Mm-hmm. So is there a thing that the communities can be doing uh, where obviously budget reasons and COVID and all that stuff, I get all that, but do you think there's a way for fire departments and other like police groups to kind of, hey, if you want to come down to the town hall, we're going to show you how heavy this stuff is, this gear is, or hey, when you don't, uh, when you pull out your snow bag in front of the fire hydrant, how much lives or right. run a time and see that this house and somebody could die because we're digging out this fire hydrant. So stuff like that, that, Right. This, this is where I go. And it is my forte is more community-based firefighting because, you know, I'm on 34th and San Pablo between San Pablo market oh, and yeah. Oakland. And, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, we're, we're there. 
And so people outside will be like the hood, those people. And that, that term drives me nuts. You use that term. Those people we're going to have words, no matter who, who you are, or what, because these are the citizens I was blessed to protect. So with that being said, I believe in community based that we get to know the kids, man. We get to know the families. And again, I'm not judging my neighborhood, but I even got to know the drug dealers in my neighborhood, right? Because I would go down and know that they could be a tool that I might need to use on a scene while I'm waiting for the police to show up. And I'd be like, hey, bro, could you do me a favor and get these folks back while we're doing that? As opposed to being that, you go, everyone get back. You say that around me on a scene and you're a firefighter, I might punch you, okay, because you're causing a problem. But I might go to a local dude and be like, hey, bro, because I've created that respect. And like, dude, could you, could you get the guys back for me and stuff? I know this is a crazy shooting, but I just need you to help me get back. And I had that one-on-one. So I believe even instead of doing it at a downtown area, each firehouse getting to know the community they serve, just like the cops who have the ultimate respect, they roll up, make good eye contact. I'm not here to arrest you or do anything. I just want to get to know you because getting to know that guy who we know might do something bad later on may be a way that we force him out of crime over time because he's like, whoa, that guy was cool to me. So I believe it's bring him in. Yeah. Squirt water with the kids, show people stuff. You know, when, when they're on scene, we're on scene of a fire. I think that's a great time to talk people after the fire's out too, you know? So I, I'm more of a community based in your neighborhood kind of guy. No, I love that. I just love the idea that people understand what people's roles are, uh, whether you're on one side of the fence or the other side, it's just, I find it very important. I agree. Um, this has been awesome, Jason. Uh, I can probably go on another two hours, but I think we should save that for a couple other episodes. But obviously, I was able to pick up your book on Amazon. I know you have a website uh, where you can pick up the book as well. But moving forward, uh, what are your plans? If people want to check you out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, and kind of fill us in with the uh, progress of this movie you kind of mentioned. Yeah, not a problem. You know, the best way is rescuerbook.com because it lists all the stores that my books available at. And it's it's sold wherever where, wherever books are sold, whatever that common line is. I'm the world's worst salesman, bro. You'll trust me because I <laughs> I just love talking with people. People are like, go sell your book. I'm like, oh, I want to go talk to him instead. Um, but ways to connect is obviously through Facebook. If you just Google Jason Sautel, I, I look in there, I'm like, wow, I'm kind of, there's a lot of stuff out there, but you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and all that. Um, the movie stuff moving forward, you know, that's going to be the craziest thing because dude, Hollywood is straight evil. Sorry, I'm going to throw it out there. And I know people are like you're burning bridges, bro. I have burnt bridges. Like you can't believe that's why I'm at where I am now. So, um, I'm moving forward with a group of, uh, really cool investors and writers and people and, uh, praying that we get this, uh, movie out there eventually. So that's what we're doing right now and before you the dr jacobs jacobson your co-author on this that kind of helped you uh-huh. very prolific in these first responders type people that want to put these kind of faith-based books out there how did that relationship kind of come to be like i find that very unique unique right so check this out dude to be a true professional writer to tie in arcs and bring the stories together and 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 describe it because like me i'll describe the darkness well, I, I'm not a true writer. So what happens is every story all the way from front to back was written by me. Then a writer comes in and says, dude, we need to arc this. We need to explain your mom more, your relationships more. We need to, we need to bring that in. And, you know, he'd be like, Hey, did you have a lot of nightmares and bad dreams and memories kick up? I said, yeah. He's like, have you ever thought about throwing them in here? So people understand. So they're not faking the story. You actually have someone come alongside you and make it even more real and readable and stuff. Otherwise, you're just going to read, you know, 280 pages of a blog, which is going to wear you out really fast because that's the way I write. And there's very few people who ever 
write their own book from start to finish without other people involved and, and stuff. So that's where he came in. And the way that we met was just a friend of a friend. And he actually saw my vision. And it was kind of cool having a non-firefighter help me out because he'd be like, bro, this isn't making sense. Help explain it so the average reader can understand it. So that's how he came into play with it too and helped me uh, bring it all together. No, it's awesome because I can imagine you could literally fill out hundreds of pages just on terrible events you come across but right. the way he was able to kind of navigate you through uh which is really awesome i thought it was really cool i had no idea that he's done this for other authors and mm -hmm. uh just a really cool thing to your uh partnership you guys started that started there well yeah you know like i said people go oh or did you self-write or self-publish well i don't know that i was blessed to be given a contract through the big one of the biggest publishers harper collins and their christian part is thomas nelson well, I'm the first nobody they've ever taken and done a memoir with. And so with that being said, they've been in the business for hundreds of years. They know how to make a story complete without changing it, you know, and, and that's it. If you see, they left the poor grammar in there because that's me. You know, I'm a high, I dropped out of high school in the yeah. 10th grade. I should not be writing books. Okay. But God bless me with all these experiences and I want to get them out there in a book form. And these folks have helped me do that. No, it's, uh, it's a, I highly recommend the book. It's an easy read, and by that I mean it's not too intimidating with words or very. It's not very uh, over the top with the, uh, verbal jargon. That uh, I know a lot of stuff actually intimidates me if it's law enforcement because I don't care about the caliber of the gun or the right. the, the carburetor, the right. silencer. Right. What you talk what you talk about is actually human uh, interactions and ideas of empathy, courage, and finding faith and stuff that. Even if you are an atheist or even if you're a Muslim or whatever your background is, you can pull out of this book in your life stuff that it, it transcends all religions and all whatever. Just be a good person. Right? If, if one thing I pulled out of this book is that be a good person mm -hmm. uh, will not only save other people's lives, but it will save your own. Uh, right. Just a great book, Jason. Jason. And real quickly, what I want to throw in there is obviously – it, like people go, oh, it's a book about Jesus. I'm like, no, the Bible's a book about well, Jesus. Far from it. This, far from this it. is a book about my journey, which included my faith. And so it would actually be fake if I didn't include that. You know what I mean? And that's what I want people to do is read my story, take from it what, like you were saying, they feel they get from it. But that's why I didn't leave it churchy like most Christians' books are, just like my movie. It's going to be a faith-based movie, but the, it's not going to be churchy, you know, because I want people to feel comfortable to pull it out. You know, I want them exactly how you described it to get the, the goodness out of it that they feel they need. Right. No, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for the book and hopefully uh, the sequel Demon Seed Returns uh, <laughs> makes, its, makes its way to the bookstores. Yeah, for sure. We're probably going to need security too at these scenes, you know, just saying, yeah, I know, yeah. I know you're busy doing all your stuff, but no, just mess with. But uh, otherwise this has been great, Jason. I appreciate your time. Uh, good luck with your other podcast you have coming, and uh, we'll be doing this again shortly. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate Thanks, you, brother. For, Thanks having for having me on. Thank you. Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you liked what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, T-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe, and see you next week. Did.
Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.